Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. On this International Women's Day, I speak with some amazing women from the world of politics, business, the indigenous community, sport, and literature as we all embrace equity. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. It took 176 years before the city of Hamilton elected its 59th and first female mayor. So what message did Andrea Horvath's election victory send to other women, particularly girls in our community who have big dreams? Well, probably a great message, that is for sure. And Mayor Horvath joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Andrea, good morning. How are you today? I'm very well, Rick. How are you? I'm awesome. Uh, happy International Women's Day. What, what, what does this day mean to you? Well, I think it's a day to reflect on the gains that women have made over uh, many, many years of struggling for equity and equality, but also uh, the challenges that we still face. Uh, I do want to say how much I appreciate the focus that your show is putting on women um, this morning. And uh, and that's, uh, you know, that's another way to acknowledge that uh, that women uh, make up half of the population, a little bit more, actually. Uh, and yet we are still not, um, you know, not seeing equity on all fronts. And so whether that's pay equity, uh, whether that's uh, uh, gender equity in in workplaces or in other uh, realms, politics, as you've already mentioned, um, you know, we, we still have a ways to go. To that to that frame, uh, you know, this year's theme is embrace equity. What what are you or what is the city doing to get to that place? Well, I think there are a number of things that uh, that we have been working on, that the city has been working on, that we need to acknowledge. But one of the big victories that just occurred, through the help, of course, of uh, other orders of government, uh, was the um, affordable child care. So next year, uh, or this year, actually, so the first full year of, of uh, affordable child care uh, in our city, uh, we'll have families saving $9,000 a year uh, in terms of uh, child care fees. That's pretty significant because we know uh, that uh, one of the barriers to full participation in the workplace for women uh, at all levels of the workplace uh, is uh, is access to child care. 96% of our child care providers in Hamilton signed on to that program, and that's because uh, the women, largely, that work in that sector uh, as staff in, uh, in uh, our city worked really hard to make sure that as many providers as possible signed on. So this helps women in terms of their pathways uh, to uh, to employment and to uh, to um, to ensuring that they can move up into their into various roles in, in employment so that they can take more leadership positions uh, because their child care is not something that's precarious. That is encouraging to hear. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Andrea Horvath, the mayor of the city of Hamilton. Uh, we do have breaking news this morning. It's actually at a brand where City Council there has voted unanimously in favor of building a new 5,000-seat arena for the Hamilton Bulldogs to potentially keep the team there permanently. Your reaction to the latest developments in Brantford? Well, you know what? Uh, Brantford uh, is, uh, is a good city, uh, but uh, there's nothing like Hamilton. So I'm certainly hopeful that once our uh, arena has been completely refurbished, uh, we'll see not only the Bulldogs back, but all kinds of other activities taking place. The bottom line is we have to fix that uh, facility. It needs the upgrades. Uh, that's not going on the on the taxpayer's uh, pocket, though, which is a, a positive thing. Uh, but it does need to be done. And then we'll have a state-of-the-art arena, and we'll see uh, hopefully the Bulldogs back as well as uh, other teams as well. Does this development make you a little worried that they just might stay in Brantford? Well, I mean, you'll always have to be, you know, concerned about uh, about these kinds of uh, 
changes, but at the same time, there really is no choice but to actually refurbish our arena. And so we knew that that was going to be a challenge. Uh, but um, but hopefully, as I said, with a state-of-the-art arena, uh, not only will the Bulldogs be back, but uh, so will other teams. And, uh, uh, and and that's what I'm looking forward to. Last one on this. Do you plan to reach out to owner Michael Landlauer to say, hey, we, we still want you? Oh, I've made it pretty clear to uh, Mr. Ann Lauer that that's the case. And I think our city does uh, as well, or has as well. And I think the fan base, most importantly, uh, has also identified very clearly uh, our love for the Bulldogs and their importance in our community. And so we're um, we're looking forward to uh, an opportunity to uh, to bring them back home. We have a couple more minutes with Hamilton Mayor Andrea Horvath here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. There is some exciting, uh, I think exciting news that's going to be happening in the lower city and some parts of the mountain, and that goes along with the new truck route network. We're going to have signage installed uh, within the week and, and for the next, uh, I think, few weeks, because I know that there's a lot of signs going up. Are you confident that this this plan is going to lead to safer, less congested streets. Well, that's exactly the point. Uh, we've, we've heard for some time now real concerns uh, around uh, trucks uh, in neighborhoods, around safety on our streets, around making our streets a place where all users uh, feel safe and secure. And so that's that's everybody from you know pedestrians on the sidewalks to cyclists to uh, to drivers of uh, of cars and so this is one of the key ways to um, to put the kind of heavy uh, heavy traffic if you will the heavy vehicles um, in a place where they belong and and remove that safety that lack of safety I guess or that that unsafe factor from uh, our some of our neighborhood and community streets and so it's it's not the panacea but certainly it's a big step in the right direction what does the enforcement plan look like for this? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. There's going to be a, a little bit of uh, adjustment, obviously, that needs to take place. So, as as usual, I would I would uh, suspect that as uh, as this is uh, coming into play, uh, there might be information type of uh, enforcement, but uh, but we're not going to allow uh, these signs and this these new routes to be ignored. They have to be adhered to, and so both. Uh, likely, or I shouldn't say likely, it, it's going to be reliant upon uh, enforcement by police, but also uh, observation. And so if people in community are seeing that those truck routes are not being um, adhered to, it's, you know, it's okay to, to phone uh, the city, to send an email into the city to say, look, I've noticed that this particular truck route uh, that has changed is still being used by trucks. Can you have somebody come and uh, provide some enforcement, to, and we'll make that happen? It's um, it's a matter, it's a big change, and so it's a matter of everybody being engaged in making that change work. I think I speak for a lot of Hamiltonians who are very much looking for this new uh, truck network to take place and see how it unfolds. Mayor Horvath, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, Rick. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. That is Andrew Horvath, the mayor of Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You know, as we know, in the in the world of politics in Canada and, and in some places around the world, no doubt about that, women have made some really significant investments. But there are obstacles that still exist. Peggy Nash is a senior advisor to the Dean of Arts and the Center for Labor Management Relations at Toronto Metropolitan University, is a former NDP finance critic and author of Women Winning Office, an activist guide to getting elected. And Peggy joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Peggy, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Happy International Women's Day. Right back at you. This year's theme is Embrace Equity. How close or, or maybe how far are we to achieving that in the political arena? 
Well, I think there are really positive trends in the political arena. I think more and more uh, women and other diverse candidates are are interested in running for office. And, you know, it was significant in 2015 that uh, we had, uh, that the prime minister uh, appointed a gender equal cabinet. But, you know, in our federal uh, parliament, we still only have about 30% women. That means 70% of those who are elected are men. And, uh, you know, that has, has been making very, very, very gradual change. Uh, but it's really, it's not good enough. We're uh, about 60th in the world when it comes to the representation of women in our federal parliament, it really is not good enough. And when you look around, even uh, I know Hamilton has uh, a woman mayor and uh, we have women councillors, members of provincial parliament, but even at the provincial and municipal levels, uh, really the numbers are not terribly inspiring. Uh, Women are still only at about 30, maybe 35%. I think we need to do better And when women do get elected, they can face really terrible backlash sometimes. So I think there needs to be better support when they actually do get elected. You've uh, you've been through the meat grinder in the political sense. Um, (laughs) what, What is the biggest obstacle that women face when they make the decision to enter politics? Well, there are many reasons why women face challenges. Uh, Everything from uh this notion of who is electable what an electable candidate looks like and often it's political parties that make that choice and so they they can be a stumbling block uh, sometimes women really doubt that they want to get in to that meat grinder as you called it but uh, you know I, I think that you know my work today in fact I am in Ottawa today with a group of 30 students from Toronto Metropolitan University who are interested in running for elected office or in in doing policy work that affects political decisions. They're highly motivated. They've been here in Ottawa shadowing women MPs. They met the uh, first woman president of the EU commission yesterday. Uh, So they're highly motivated, highly inspired. And they, they need to have, you know, some of them say to me, you know, people say we're too young, we don't have enough to offer. I can tell you these are a very, very talented group of ambitious young women who really want to get out there and make the kind of change that they want to see. It's great to hear. Peggy Nash is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Peggy is a senior advisor at Toronto Metropolitan University, a former NDP finance critic and the author of Women Winning Office, an activist guide to getting elected. You kind of reference the the nastiness of politics. When women are elected, does it still offer inspiration or because more than ever, politics is so divisive and, and so nasty, is it keeping many women away from the political realm? Well, I think the the thought of that nastiness and of having themselves and maybe their families raked over the coals and on, on social media or sometimes even in person, that can be a deterrent. 
And so I, I try to say, especially to, to young women who aspire to get into politics, is that is the point. That is the point of that nastiness, is to kind of silence them and tell them their voice doesn't matter and they should not get involved. And the solution to that is to have more women running for office, more women getting elected, more women in positions of leadership, supporting each other, supported by their communities, and not agreeing to be silenced, refusing to be silenced. So that that nastiness needs to be taken head on. Often it's anonymous, cowardly, vicious. And, you know, my advice to a lot of women is, Put things out on social media, but don't don't read the reaction, because often these people don't even live in your area, uh, and if they can't put their name to something, and if they can't be constructive, their viewpoint doesn't really matter. So I I encourage women to uh, not ignore it, but in spite of it, to work together to support each other, and and to refuse to be silenced by running for office, and yes, getting elected. We have about 30 seconds. You've achieved so much in your career. Who would be an inspiration for you all those years ago, or maybe still to this day? You know, there are so many inspiring women. Um, I have to tell you, meeting um, EU Commission President um, Ursula van der Leyen last night, uh, hearing her speak in Parliament, meeting her face-to-face, she is a very, very inspiring leader. But, you know, there, there are other inspiring leaders. Um, uh, former uh, NDP leader Alexa McDonough, she faced tremendous backlash and uh, certainly had a lot of self-doubt. But she, she was very inspiring. And I have to say, when I first got elected, she was generous. She was thoughtful. She was supportive. And that made a huge difference in terms of her paving the way for me in elected office. And and I hope that I can give back a little bit in helping other women make that transition and achieving their full leadership, because I think more than ever, we need their voices. We need their votes. So many amazing women out there. And that list certainly includes Peggy Nash. Peggy, thanks for joining us today and enjoy the day. Happy International Women's Day. (laughs) Right back at you. Peggy Nash is a senior advisor at uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, a former NDP finance critic and the author of Women Winning Office, an activist guide to getting elected. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We got some work to do because the average female worker earns 26% less money than her male counterparts. And coupled with... The increased cost of living, which is hitting everyone hard, this wage inequality is hitting women particularly hard. So how do we fix it? What are some of the things we can do? Rebecca Sedano is a senior vice president and licensed insolvency trustee at BDO Debt Solutions and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Rebecca, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. How does wage inequality contribute to a woman's debt and debt stress? Well, It's a very interesting topic. Um, First of all, thank you for inviting me to join you today on this International Women's Day. It's a fabulous day to be a woman and to celebrate that women actually have the ability to work in Canada now. The wage gap is unfortunate 
And I think um, we need to start by looking at when women go to post-secondary and they get their student loans. And perhaps when they graduate from university or college, the gender um, jobs that are traditionally female tend to pay less than the gender jobs that are traditionally men. And women already start behind because perhaps they have student loans. So now you have a student loan that may be equal to that of their counterpart male, but the job they've now taken perhaps pays 89 cents, where for a male, it pays the dollar. And and they're always playing catch up. And when they do, uh, you know, hit a debt level that is, well, unmanageable, let's just say, and is very stressful and is hard to to tackle. What tips do you have for them to getting a handle on their debt level? So, yes, unfortunately, um, in so far in 2023, debt is very high in Canada. The insolvency filings are up by 33% already from January of 2022. So when an individual sees themselves in debt, the very first thing that I would suggest is to reach out to a professional to help you to establish what exactly your debt level is sitting at. And one of the ways to do that is to put together a budget looking at the income you have coming in and how much of that income you're using to service the debt on a monthly basis. It's very interesting, Rick, that sometimes in conversations that I have with individuals, when I ask them, how much do you owe? They tend to give me it in monthly payments (laughs) instead of what they actually owe. So doing it on a monthly basis is good, but actually writing the debt down in total is actually a better way of being able to establish what the debt is. Because if you then take that debt and divide it out over time, you'll see that sometimes debt can take a very long time to pay back. So if you look at the bigger actual number as compared to you know what it's going to cost you per month to eventually pay that down, is that more of a realistic, at least it sets up a more realistic goal to, to bring that number down faster? It does because, and actually the banks have done us all a really big favor because if you look at your credit card statement and actually read the whole statement, often the banks will give you how much your monthly payment is. And if you make that monthly payment every month, no more, how long it will actually take you to pay off the debt. And often it's very scary, 25 years, 32 years, because of the compounding interest. And we don't always equate the interest calculation on the statement as being an impact on the amount of debt. So every time you make a payment, it's not bringing the debt down in total because you have that interest component. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Rebecca Sedano, Senior VP and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions, also a past winner of BDO Canada's CEO Award of Excellence. You can find out more details online at bdodebt.ca. You just mentioned that insolvencies are 33% higher compared to January 2022. What options does BDO offer to people who are struggling with their debt? 
So debtsolutions.bdo.ca is a website that you can use to access some advice on how to deal with debt. And debt is um, manageable if you deal with it early. So the very first suggestion I would say is you want to pick up the phone, call BDO and have an appointment for free with a licensed insolvency trustee to walk you through those options. One of the options is a consumer proposal, which allows us the ability to negotiate with the people that you owe money to, stopping the interest and combining the debt into one manageable monthly payment. In some cases, that's not an option. And if that's the case, then we, we walk individuals through a bankruptcy process. And sometimes that word is really scary, but it doesn't need to be scary because once you understand it, we will walk you through that process. A lot of options for you online at bdodebt.ca, and you can call the local BDO office that's closest to you to get all the options that'll uh, get you to where you need to be financially. Rebecca, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us on this International Women's Day. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. And it's Rebecca Sedano, Senior Vice President and Licensed Insolvency Trustee at BDO Debt Solutions. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Indigenous women, as we know, carry a super strong voice on this day, but they have been unfairly discriminated against for both being women and for being indigenous. Many hurdles that they have had to overcome. And in many cases, they have, but the struggle continues. There is still a ways to go. Dr. Don Martin-Hill is an associate professor in the Department of Anthropology at McMaster University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Martin-Hill, good morning. How are you today? Good morning. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for joining us this morning. What does this day mean to you? Um, It's a good day to remember all the contributions of Indigenous women in this country. It's, It's nice to have people interested and become aware of the issues that Indigenous women face in particular, but women generally. So very good. Talk about the vital role that women play within the Indigenous community. Well, it varies. Um, You know, I can only uh, address, um, you know, the Haudenosaunee uh, of Six Nations here. Um, Our history and culture um, has always honored women. We have always had women leaders with rights to make decisions, uh, own property, and determine their affairs. Um, And the suffrage movement, um, where European women came here, did not have rights and were considered chattel or property of their husbands. So Indigenous women have um, shaped, in many ways, the thinking of... of, um, the settler population without them really being aware. Um, for example, the leaders of the suffrage movement in 1883, you know, wrote and talked about uh, and used Iroquois, as they called them, uh, Haudenosaunee women, as examples of uh, having these rights. Um, not only did women have rights, children had rights under the great law of peace. So they were very inspired when they saw our women um with such authority. They had never witnessed that in in their time from their cultures. So they were kind of erased from history. Um, And there's a few books that have come out um, about how Iroquois or Haudenosaunee women um, influenced the suffrage movement and specifically Gage and Stanton, Fletcher, who are all uh, noted 
suffragettes. Um, in fact, one of them was adopted by the Mohawk Nation um, and given the full rights um, to make decisions. And then she was also put in jail for voting um, in her own country. So those kinds of stories are what I like to highlight because many Canadians only hear, you know, a constant narrative of uh, victimization um, associated with a lot of, of not so positive um, issues. And young women don't hear about, particularly Indigenous women, um, the contributions uh, of Indigenous women, not only historically, um, but in contemporary times, whether it's, you know, defending land, defending water, putting their bodies on the front line to protect their um, their territory. Those things, those stories need to be told because we need balance in what we know as the missing and murdered Indigenous women, um, along with some of the associated social ills that come along with colonialism and residential school. So those are the things I like to highlight on a day like today, because most Canadians and Americans just don't hear much about Indigenous women's um, leadership and contributions to the country. Yeah, much has been made, as we know, about people like Nellie McClung, who did you know some fabulous work in, in helping improve and secure some women's rights. But for every Nellie McClung, there's a Sandra Lovelace, there's a Mary Tuax right. Early, people that you know I've been researching over the last number of days. And that, yeah, exactly. Who who challenged the discrimination at the time, and uh, in some cases uh, made some incredible gains. Uh, we only got about a minute. What opportunities lie ahead for Indigenous women? Well, you know, we're, we're living in interesting times. Um, you know, we, we have, you know, some, some things happening to the south of us that I hope don't influence too much. I think Canada is attempting to correct and reconcile uh, past wrongs. So I think Indigenous women are leading and will continue to lead, you know, issues that all Canadians care about, such as the environment, uh, climate change, um, women in science, like we're moving into the arts. We have Santee Smith as a chancellor of uh, McMaster University. These are huge wins in many ways, I think not just for Indigenous women, but but for the country. Um, I think it's good to recognize that we are still continuing to shape, change, and transform uh, spaces that, that are inviting and well uh, do well for everybody. You're 100% right. Dr. Martin Hill, thank you for your time today and enjoy the rest of the day. Take care. You too. That is Dr. Don Martin Hill, Associate Professor at McMaster University, one of the founders of the Indigenous Studies Program at Mac. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, female athletes continue to demand equal pay for equal work, yet they still earn a fraction of what male athletes do. That That's an issue. There are many other issues that go along with women and girls in sport. And here to shine a light on it is Allison Sandmeyer Graves, the CEO of Canadian Women and Sport. Allison, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Happy International Women's Day. Yeah, right back at you. This year's theme is Embrace Equality. And really in the sporting realm, many people are preaching equality, but you know, at the end of the day, talk is cheap. There are there are some serious gaps when it comes to supporting women's athletes. Which gaps are you most alarmed about or which ones are most alarming to you? 
Well, I have to say, we always start from a place of sport and what a powerful platform it is for girls and women in our society. Because we know that people who play sport and girls and women who play sport and have access to all of the experiences that it affords are better set up for leadership in all walks of life. And so we really believe in the power of sport and uh, we want as many girls and women to have access to it as possible. And in the next breath, though, we say, but, you know, sport needs to be safe and inclusive and equitable in order for girls and women to even get access to those benefits and certainly to enjoy the experience and, and to have it serve as that platform. So what are we most concerned about? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know, I think that... It manifests differently at every level of sport, but gender inequity is present at every single level of sport and really in all different kinds of ways. And that really reflects the fact that uh, women have for years been fighting for the right to play while men's sport was being established and was growing and gaining investment and respect and value and visibility. Women were still fighting just for the right to play. And so inequity really reflects the fact that there are a lot of policies, there's a lot of decision making, there are a lot of norms and cultures in sport that were really founded without women's participation, without their perspective included, and in fact, in some cases, intentionally to exclude them. And so there's a lot of undoing that needs to happen within the sport system. Uh, so there's a lot of challenging of the status quo, be that access to ice time, be that access to, you know, equitable pay for, for performance. Um, it really, we're really having to look at every nook and cranny because it's, it's really riddled throughout the system. One of the words you mentioned is investment, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it's nice to see, you know, a corporate heavyweight like Canadian Tire announce recently that it's going to contribute millions of dollars to women's sport. Um, but those, you know, big corporate investments are few and far between. Why aren't we seeing more of that? Uh, well, gosh, we were so thrilled to see them make that move. I think it feels really bold, doesn't it? And yet... Um, it also feels like it's high time and we are looking forward to others following that great standard that Canadian Tire Corporation just set earlier this week of 50-50 in terms of uh, their sponsorship to men's and women's sport. Um, I think why haven't we seen more of that? I think, you know, that gender bias uh, is as present in those business decisions as it is uh, elsewhere in sport. So there are a lot of really widely held beliefs that, you know, you know, no one's going to watch women play. And so sponsors don't want to put their money there because they won't get the eyeballs and the reach that they would get if they invested in the men's side, for instance. Uh, but there are reports coming out every week uh, from Europe, from the United States, here in Canada, that are really uh, busting that myth. And saying like, no, if you make it available, if you promote it effectively, if you support it well, uh, there are people out there, there are fans who are looking for it. And in fact, fandom is growing for women's sport all around the world. Uh, Canada's just been a little slow to get on board. And uh, we're hoping that 2023 is... Um, 
is a year of great change in that respect. We have a couple more minutes with Allison Sandmar Graves, the CEO of Canadian Women and Sport, as we analyze some of the impacts that women have made in the sporting realm, but still some gaps to close, that is for sure. Um, your organization recently announced the uh, Next Play Grant Program. I think that's the right, uh, the right hmm. name of it. What impact do you hope this is going to have? Well, uh, we're thrilled to be doing that work uh, funded by the government of Ontario. Really, it's a reflection of the fact that we are still very much in a post-COVID situation when it comes to sport. And our research in the rally report, which we released in the late fall in partnership with Jumpstart Charities, showed that while girls are returning to sport, the barriers to their participation and to them staying in sport have gone up considerably. And so the next play is is a grant program and a capacity building program. So groups who participate in it are going to get some great training and education um, really to help them to do the, the necessary work to improve their programs and change their approaches to better serve girls and to better keep girls in the game. So that's going to be flowing to grassroots sport organizations across the province. We're still recruiting. So if people want to learn more and perhaps apply for this, they can find this at womenandsport.ca. It's a fantastic program, and it's going to go a long way to helping a lot of people, a lot of girls um, uh, get into sport. A lot of women stay in sport because, as we know, the cost of living has gone up. Some par- parents out there might be thinking, geez, I'm, you know, my dollar is getting squeezed all over the place. Can I still afford to get my kids into sport? And it's programs like this, and it's entities like Canadian Women in Sport who are doing some uh, marvelous work in, in communities across this country to uh, engage those parents and engage those kids and those girls and those women to continue to participate in uh, in sport. Uh, Allison, that's all the time we have. I really appreciate your time this morning and uh, thanks again for joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Allison Sandmar Graves, CEO of the Canadian Women and Sport. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, I got an email, I think it was last week at some time, from an individual who said, hey, you got to focus on this story. It'd be perfect for International Women's Day. And I'm reading this email. I thought, absolutely perfect. It hits all the spots. It highlights an amazing woman in our community who's done an awesome thing. And so a Burlington woman has become a published author at age 83. It's an incredible story. She got help from a grandson. She has published a decades-long novel inspired in part by a trip that she took with her late husband through the mountains of B.C., and how could that not be inspirational? Her name is Ardell Sternall, and she is the author of Secrets of Moore Mountain, and Ardell joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ardell, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Happy International Women's Day. Thanks for your time this morning. I have to ask you, you know, very few people become a published author in their lifetime. Fewer people, I would imagine, do it for the first time at age 83. How did this happen? Well, we were driving through the mountains in British Columbia, and uh, for some reason I kept wondering what people would be like, what it would be like to live up there, and if people lived up there. And there was a, uh, suddenly I saw a, a mailbox, an old rusted mailbox in the, on the side of the road. And, um, I just started weaving a story around it. And, and were and, were you a writer originally? Had you written other articles or other, other yes, things? Yes, I've I've written some short stories and uh, things like that. 
So you decide in your head, I'm going to write a book about what I'm seeing and kind of experiencing going through these mountains. Tell us about your book, Secrets of Moore Mountain. Well, it's the story of two young sisters who are um, struggling with a lot of um, secrets from their family's past, and um, they're they're just trying to continue to live and empower themselves with the situation around them. What did you learn about yourself when you were going through this process? <laughs> that I needed new dictionaries. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you get one? <laughs> oh sure. <laughs> <laughs> but in in do, as I said, I mean, not many people in their eighties decide. You know what? I'm I'm going to write a book. I'm going to get a book published here. That must have been exciting yet scary at the same time. Oh, it, it's very exciting. It's very, and I kind of pinch myself every once in a while. But <laughs> um, it would appear that it, it happened. What is your? Um, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, what's your message to aspiring authors? There's many people who have that idea that, you know, one day I'm going to write a book, and they never actually end up doing it. What is your message to them? Well, I think I think the most important thing is to simply pick up a pen and a piece of paper and start writing. Just, it doesn't matter what you write. Write something if you don't like it. Um, Margaret Atwood's great saying is, your waste paper basket is your best friend. Hmm. And that is so true. You can scrunch it all up, throw it in the waste paper basket, and never look at it again. Were there, start another one. Were there any point in time where you, you tossed something in that waste paper basket and you thought, you know what, that wasn't a bad idea. Let me, let me bring that back and rehash that. Oh, yes. Yes, one does that. Now, the question is, Ardell, do you plan to write more books? I don't know. I'm kind of getting over this first one, but wouldn't that be lovely? That would be very nice. <laughs> there could be a Secrets of More Mountain Part 2. Who knows? Who knows? Ardell, thanks for your time. Congratulations on this, and great luck uh, with the book. Uh, I can encourage our listeners to go to their favorite bookstore and uh, and pick up a copy. Well, actually, you have to buy it through Amazon, okay. or you can go to my website, ardellsternall.com. Excellent. Ardell, thanks for the time. Good luck with this. Thank you. That's Ardell Sternall, the author of Secrets of Moore Mountain. As you heard, you can get it on Amazon. I love the synopsis. A harrowing and often shocking tale of survival against all odds, The Secrets of Moore Mountain shows the tenacity of the human spirit and sisterly bonds, even when death and tragedy tests our limits. The shack on Moore Mountain protects its secrets, and the people protect theirs. Ooh. Sounds interesting. Pick up a copy today. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.